Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. Visit www.petechapman.com to get your official director's chair wear, hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag, and learn more about your host. All right, all right, all right. Yo, it has been a long, a long, a long time. Welcome to episode 40 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. The last episode that you've gotten from us was episode 39, obviously, but the date of that episode was July 8th. 2022. That episode was a crossover with the Just Shoot It pod called Directing Great Television and wanted to share what I had to share with the folks over there. But yeah, it's been a minute since I've been over here and sat down in this chair. And this is going to be one of those zero to 100 catch-ups, let you know everything that's been going on and set you up for what we have coming your way this season. Now, what is the season of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman? That's been the question. I've still been trying to figure that out. You know, initially it was going to be 20 episodes, but then look y'all, I recognized that that was too much work and I'd have an incomplete season for too long of a stretch. And so then I thought, well, maybe 10 episodes will do it. And then I thought maybe no episodes and we'll just be, we'll just go forever. Kind of like Mark Marin's WTF podcast where you know, they're on episode 3000, you know, and they just kind of go and you know, he just keeps hitting you with the great content. So I thought maybe we would do that or kind of like a script notes ideal. And I guess the, the, the tail has been wagging the dog on this whole deal because when I update the IMDB page for the show, there's a field that will ask you to specify what season of the show you are submitting and so i wanted to be all organized and that's how i ended up with this idea of a season and i had this whole conundrum about how many episodes that would be so anyway that remains an unquestioned or an, an unanswered question let's uh, flip that around but what i can guarantee is that we'll probably take some t hiatus time here and there like we just did and then i'll be back with a flurry of episodes as we're about to do now and I'll be bringing back to you, our listeners on all the podcast platforms and our viewers on YouTube. I do recommend y'all check it out on, on YouTube. It's cool to watch the interactions, I think. And I, I personally prefer that. But, you know, when you're not in the car or when you're in the car, you're not watching YouTube. So I get it. That's why we hit you with both. But I'll be bringing back to you the things that I learned in those hiatus moments. So I'll have new relationships. I'll have new guests to offer new perspectives on this industry we love so much. So that's the that's the word, y'all. Now, what's the catch up? What have I been up to? Whew, reasonable doubt. Season one wrapped back in May. I think it was May 24th. And I that wrapped with me directing episode nine, which was the finale. And I was really proud of what we did on that show, on that episode, tying up all the storylines and really, you know, trying to trying to put a 
put a stamp on the look of, of what the show would be in that episode, working with my man, Rob Arnold on the visuals as a DP. And, you know, just shout out to all involved on that. Obviously the creator, Rama Muhammad, the EPs, Kerry Washington, Rama, of course, as well. Larry Wilmore, Pilar Savoni, EPs, Tamara Gregory, and then just everybody behind the show. Emiazzi Cornaldi, the show would not be possible without it resting on her talented back and the amazing cast up and down the board. So that's what that's one thing that I was up to in the past eight months. I think I've got a list of 11 things. So I'm gonna just run down what they are. What else? We took our daughter to hang with the grandparents in Wisconsin and Virginia. I think immediately after we wrapped, I'm, I'm talking about like maybe the next day, because let me tell you, when you when you work on in television, but also when you work on a show in the producing director capacity or in any capacity where you're there every day, you really get you really get excited about going somewhere else just to kind of, you know, get a little bit of a vacation from the creative monotony that we work for and that we that we that we that we want but you do want to get a little break from that so we were off to take the baby to meet the grandparents that was number two what's number three number three is then we took the baby to british virgin islands i am not working for the tourism board there but i highly recommend it if you're if you're like a beach person and you like the water and you like blue 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 ass water and waves and and serenity and all that you honestly can't beat it so that was number three number four then we went from there to new york to see our new york peoples because it was it was the baby world tour you know people needed to meet this beautiful baby then of course in route to that we we caught the beautiful covid we had dodged it for so long but Ironically, the day before we were flying back, the CDC took the mandate away for tests on flights, international flights. And so we caught it literally on the first flight available. So that was number four. Number five, now we get back to the, the work. I came back to LA and directed the season one finale of Unprison, starring Kerry Washington and Delroy Lindo. So another Simpson Street project kept in the family and had an amazing time on that show. Went from a one hour drama on A Reasonable Doubt to a half hour, it's not a dramedy. I almost, it's like dramatic comedy. It's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to put into a genre that really encompasses the levels of tone that were balanced in, in Unprisoned, but went from a one hour to a half hour. So directed that finale, that was number five. Number six, then we took in to go to St. Bart's for a friend's 40th birthday celebration and hang. That was pretty dope too. I'm realizing that this sounds pretty crazy. I, you know, seven years ago, I would not think that my summer would have consisted with such beautiful travel, but here we are. And I'm thankful and blessed that we're able to do it. Number seven, I returned to LA and I directed, and now, now we get to the work work in the summer. That was a summer flow. I returned to LA. This will be August of 22. And then I directed the second episode of Grey's Anatomy. That was 1902. For those unfamiliar with the code, um, 1902 means that it's season 19, episode two. So I uh, directed that really fun introduction of new characters, five new interns and new life, new blood into the show. So that was really fun to kind of have some involvement in the introduction of those folks. 
Then I directed, I guess that would be, that went into September. So in October, I directed episode 107 of Fatal Attraction, starring Joshua Jackson, Lizzie Kaplan, Amanda Pete. And so that was awesome. It was uh, that show premieres April 30th. I think my episode will release on June 11th or so. I'm amazed that I remember these dates. I I carve them into my memory when I see them on, <laughs> on IMTP. But that was a really fun show. I got to do somewhat of a bottle episode that really goes into the Alex character played by Glenn Close in the film, now played by the amazing Lizzie Kaplan in the series. And we go back and kind of follow her story in a very interesting way. So Shout out to Silver Tree, the producing director who brought me on to Fatal Attraction from Flight Attendant and before that, you. She's amazing and I'm, I'm really thankful to continue to work with her. Then number nine of these 11 things I've been up to, I directed episode 206 of Minx, which used to be an HBO Max show, but now is a star show and no release date yet. HBO Max reversed the renewal on the show. That has been a bit of a thing that's happened across a lot of networks. You know, I've had a couple HBO Max shows for which that has happened. And, you know, that's kind of the nature of this shift in the landscape as these companies are trying to figure out how they're going to handle their economics. But I had an amazing time on Minx, working with the creator and showrunner, Ellen Rappaport, obviously the amazing cast, so many folks that I think are awesome at what they do and kind of can handle the, not only the period aspect, but the drama and the comedy. And I think we did a, a really awesome episode. So check out episode six of Minx, the 10th of 11 things that I did. Minx wrapped in November and then in December I directed, I don't know the episode number yet because I think it was, there was a script number as far as like where it was in the, in the sequence of the scripts that were written, but as far as when it will be released in the chronology of the season, I think it differs. So it's a season two episode of American Auto, which is on NBC starring Anna Gasteyer. And that was super fun to kind of stay in the comedy box a bit between Minx and American Auto and really just play with the joke because it's the type of show where the camera is more of an observer and you're not necessarily putting a whole lot of sauce on on the on on the camera moves or or anything like that. You really have to think about the blocking and how that can add to the joke and enhance the comedic factor that you're trying to play in a particular scene. And it was really fun to kind of play in that sandbox because all of these different tools really do reveal themselves as being necessary at different moments in any kind of show. So that's why I'm a big fan of the career that I'm, I've been very fortunate to have working in both genres and across, you know, all kinds of platforms. Now, lastly, the 11th thing that I've been up to of 11 things since we've brought you an episode back in July of 2022, I directed the season one finale of Dead Boy Detectives in Vancouver that also began as an HBO Max show, and it will now be moving to Netflix. And that was just a, a really awesome experience you know, first time doing, you know, blowing up buildings and doing wire pull stunts and a great deal of, of green screen at kind of like the highest level. And, you know, so many different demands. I'm actually going to do an episode with a VFX supervisor so we can talk more in depth about what that 
process is like and what the demands are for the director that are different from, you know, a standard kind of sitcom or drama that may have a more traditional stunt here or there, but not really the demands of of, of explosions and green screen and, and et cetera. So we'll get into that. But yeah, really happy to have directed that finale. Glenn Winter, the producing director, was an amazing collaborator on the show, getting me up to speed on all the, the, the rules of the world. And it was also a, a nice uh, reuniting with Steve Yaki, the showrunner, co-showrunner on The Flight Attendant, as well as Beth Schwartzman, who was a co-showrunner on Dead Boy Detective. So those are the 11 things that I've been up to and coupled with, you know, now a 17-month-old baby who's beautiful and running around and saying words and, you know, keeping us very happily busy. It was impossible to, unless people wanted to do midnight interviews, which no one seemed to want to do to keep the content coming. But it's back. So what's up next? This is a mailbag episode. So I have a few questions that we're going to get to, and then I'll tell you what the rest of the season does look like. But what's up next for me as a director? Let's see. In April, I'm going to uh, direct an episode of Interior Chinatown, a great book, a New York Times bestseller. Taika Waititi's doing the pilot. Charlie Yu is the writer of the book and showrunner of, of the of the series. And uh, I'm excited to direct that. I'll be working with Mike Berlucci again, DP from Mythic Quest. He also shot Our Flag Means Death and You're the Worst. And he was a guest on the podcast. So you could listen back to the Mike Berlucci episode. After that, I have a couple of the shows that we're working on some scheduling. So you'll get more specific updates from me in the coming weeks. And then of course, I've got a screenplay to finish. This thing's been hanging over our head. Candace McFarlane and I are co-writing it. And, you know, the reality of us both working, she's writing on a show in New York, uh, has made completing that script a little more challenging than I like, but we're getting there. And I, I hope to get back into the feature space as a director. And then obviously seeking more pilot opportunities and producing director opportunities. And finally, an interview on this podcast with my wife, actress and producer, Kelly McCreary. So that'll be coming up for y'all. Should I say this season? I don't know, but it'll be coming up in the flurry of episodes to come your way. But now let's get to our submitted questions and deal with this mailbag, baby. This is Keith Powell. I'm a writer, director, and actor. And you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions. A Director's Journey and Motivational Handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weasley Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration. This book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook from Michael Weezy Productions is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your local mom and pop shops, people. 
Now, I do want to encourage people to submit their questions to us via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com or via the Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman Instagram page or on the YouTube page. Or it's like, or, or, or. Uh, you can also look out for periodic stories from me on my IG page at Pete Chapman. And again, that's P-E-T-E-C-H-A-T-M-O-N, where I will ask for questions. And in fact, that is where I got today's questions from. So our first question comes from the talented filmmaker and good friend of mine at I underscore am underscore idle. I-D-I-L. How do you select what or what not to work on? Great question. I ask myself that every month, but I will say that in the beginning, I think you work on anything that you can work on so you can establish yourself in this world, in this game, in this industry, you know, with the credit that you're trying to have in the forefront as what you do. So like if you're trying to be a director and you've been known as a writer, like you really can't be too picky in, in trying to get the director credits, you know, particularly the first ones to begin to build up some momentum. I do think it's important to have a clear vision for where you're going and to let the right people know it. So it's not about necessarily taking anything that comes your way, you know, you will be telling people things about yourself and you'll be pitching for particular shows and then a show that you weren't necessarily dying to do perhaps reveals itself and and obviously you take it. And, you know, when I say having a clear vision for yourself, if you've read my book, Transitions, or listened to this podcast enough, I always say that my expressed goal in all meetings was to anyone on the other side of the table, couch, you know, whatever it might have been, you know, I'm looking to do half hour single camera comedies. I wasn't saying I want to do one hour dramas. I was not saying I want to do multicam. I want to do half hour single camera comedies. Now, if there was ever an opportunity to sprinkle in the fact that I, I love dramas or they had a drama that I loved and I'd love to, you know, perhaps, you know, go in that direction at some point, then I might let that person know because it has a particular value. But I would not overburden folks with that information if it was not going to be conducive toward getting a job. But streamlining this, you know, and kind of continuing the answer, I think after taking all work that you can get in the beginning and after letting people know where you want to go, I think there's a point at which you begin to have a sense of, oh, okay, now I'm working. It seems like I don't have to be as nervous about whether or not I'll be hired again as I was in the beginning. For me personally, that was about three years in where it was like, okay, it seems like, you know, it's happening. <laughs> and, you know, I'm doing somewhere between eight and 14 episodes a year and it and it's it's staying in that range actually and then in the third year it's maybe getting between 12 and 14 so it feels like I've got a little space carved out for myself and now is the time that I'm going to get more specific about what I want to do and I'm going to maybe share my larger goals that I kept a little bit more to myself 
because I wanted to have a clear target and have have other people have a clear target to where I was going to go. At that point, I would get more selective. And at that point for me, around three years, I did get more selective. And I was going after shows that I liked specifically. I'd watch a show and reach out to my reps and say, you know, I'd love to see if we can have a meeting on this particular show. And that, that, that proved to be very fruitful. But, you know, I think this question is always there, no matter what stage of your career you're in. And, and the important thing is to have the proper context. There's a reason to do or not to do any show that's not just about your taste. Often it could it could be relationships. Often it could be, you know, you want to build out a resume that shows you can handle stunts now, you know, or shows you can handle comedy or whatever it might be. And I think like you've really got to be on top of the target for yourself so you can make these choices with with precision. So that would be my answer at I am it'll about how do you select what or what not to work on. Now. Our second comes from Anonymous, and they weren't anonymous to me, but they desired to be anonymous. And they asked me, how do you maximize your relationship with your reps? I have one word first, I think specificity. What is it that you want to do? Where do you want to go? And and being clear about that, because that specificity breeds accountability. I do a yearly document that wraps up what has happened in the last year or, you know, now that I've kind of been doing this longer, here's where we are, you know, over, you know, all the years starting from 2017. And then more importantly, here are the goals for 2023. I have examples of these documents in my book. So I advise you to, you know, pick that up and, and look at it. Uh, but that is very helpful for me in understanding how I want to spend my focus and my time. And, and then it's also helpful if, you know, this is the worst case scenario, you know, if, if you're being specific and you're sharing these goals and then, you know, here you are two years later and none of the things that you put on your goals have happened and the needle hasn't moved in any way, you know, perhaps you might need to consider finding new people to work with or or readdressing that working relationship with your reps because these things aren't happening. Another thing I think that's important in maximizing your relationship with your reps is to not be afraid to ask questions. I mean, that goes for this job across the board. You, you, you're a director, yet you do have to sometimes say, I do not know how to accomplish this. <laughs> so how do we do it? And it seems like a little bit of an oxymoron. But anyway, you have to not be afraid to ask questions. I think you need to educate yourself on what their job is. You are going to have a different conversation with your manager than you would have with your agent than you would have with your lawyer. And when you do get to the place where you're going to have, you know, conference calls as you're trying to figure out, you know, what to do with a particular offer or, you know, what what meetings to take or whatever, educating yourself on what their job is helps you understand where they're coming from. And I think the the final piece of, of that, not being afraid to ask questions and educating yourself on what their job is, is that ask how you can best enable them to meet the goals that you desire. So is that, do you need a reel from me? Is my website good? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do I need to do in the room 
that would be more beneficial to me and to us because we all get paid when things work out well for me, you know, because maybe I'm not handling meetings well. Like, is there anything that you can tell me that I need that I can take advantage of? So what I now know as your job and your focus, you have all of the ammunition and all the tools to accomplish it. And I think, I think that's it. That's how I view it. And I think also it's not static that that will change, right? Everything I've just mentioned, it changes year to year, you know, but also like if you now, like when you now have a different goal, you may now need to see if they have everything they need from you to get you to that new position. So don't get static and remain lively and focused and nimble and curious. And I think that's how you, how you maximize your relationship with your reps. Question number three is from at Olivia Troy, whom I've worked with on Love Life. She's amazing. She is an intimacy coordinator. And her question is, what are your thoughts on working with intimacy coordinators? How does the collaboration work best slash fail for you? So first off, and this is no lip service, I love working with intimacy coordinators. I think it can take some of the awkwardness away from negotiating what will be accomplished on camera. Intimate scenes are very mechanical, even though they might look lustful and, and, and sexy on in an edited episode or film, but you know, there's it's a very mechanical thing on the day. And there's a power dynamic that's inherent to the situation. And that power dynamic is, you know, I'm the director in the old days, right? I'm the director you know, how about you do this? And, you know, for an actor thinking that if they say no and speak up for themselves and advocate for themselves and use the agency that they should have for themselves, they might think, well, if the director wants that and I don't do it, am I putting myself in a in a bad position for future work or whatever it may be? So having the intimacy coordinator helps to remove that awkwardness and also, you know, I guess I should talk for a second, like what on how that works, right? So when you work with an intimacy coordinator, they get the script, they look at anything that is going to be people having a physical closeness. You know, when I mark my script up, I, I mark it up whether it's sexual or not. Like it can, it could be a hug, it could be like I just want to have I'm I want there to be a conversation with the talent about anything that has someone in their space because. You just don't know what people bring, the, the experience of in life that people bring to those moments. And so you want to be respectful of anything could be triggering. So the intimacy coordinator looks at every scene. They have an initial conversation with you as a director and you, you know, talk about how you view all of these moments happening. How many beats is that kiss? It holds for two seconds. You know, will, will any... Will any breasts be shown? No, it won't. We'll, it'll be, we'll be suggesting complete nudity, but we won't be showing it on camera. So then that lets them know that there can be a modesty garment on the actor to cover them up. So this all, you know, trickles down into every scene and it becomes very specific. And they're going to be asking me what my shots are at some point. But in the beginning, it's really just about how do you envision this and what do you expect or desire and I think that I think that's better. I think what do you desire from the actor? Because it's not necessarily like you're going to do this. 
And and that's what I think bringing the intimacy coordinator into the mix has birthed back into these conversations, right? So that's what they do. And then when you get on set, they are there to kind of make sure everything stays on track. I and mean, what's been agreed to is clear. You know, people, if, if it's a closed set, which it oftentimes is, that means they're making sure you know, no one's in video village that shouldn't be. Other monitors are, 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 you know, covered or turned off or only people who should be seeing them like hair and makeup perhaps are looking at it. And they're just making sure that the set is respectful of all the things that have been agreed upon, but also that should happen and should have always been happening when people are exposing themselves in such an intimate way. And so I think it's, you know, this director, intimacy coordinator, collaboration is a is an evolving thing and you know with each job that I do I'm refining how to best communicate with all parties I've had an interesting stretch of doing a lot of intimacy work perhaps I don't know I'm trying to think what if if this is accurate I was going to say perhaps most so on the U season 3 episode 8 a swing and a miss which is Joe and Love have a swingers night and everything goes wrong, but it's super intimate with four people, actually five, because then there's someone else that Joe's infatuated with. And then it turns into a big a stunt scene with arrows and grappling and stabbing and dunking in a sink. And so, you know, impossible to accomplish that and navigate all the intricacies and, 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 and subtleties without, you know, this collaborative group. Now, let's see. So I think it works best really as designed and as I've outlined how it kind of unfolds for you on set as a director. The only challenge, at least in my experience, comes from when the intimacy coordinator perhaps begins to overstep and get prematurely involved in the problem solving that occurs on set. Now, ideally, you prep and talk everything out. Like I said, they take your conversation about what you desire back to the actor, and then they bring back everything that the actor says. So usually a confirmation of XYZ or, you know, maybe a little tweak like they like this, but, you know, they would prefer not to do that. And so you're like, okay, great. Now everybody gets to set with a clear with a clear picture of what's going to happen, but you can be on set and things can evolve. That's what happens on every aspect of a production, even whether it's a stunt or a written joke or whatever it might be, or an intimacy scene. So, you know, that challenge of having an intimacy coordinator get involved prematurely kind of is the thing that can rankle me, you know, because I think often there's a bit of complicated math to keep a scene shootable while also honoring the parameters that have been established during the conversations that I've mentioned. And personally, I like to lead the problem solving while honoring what we've all agreed to, knowing that it'll be, you know, in the spirit of the scene. So it's the rare occasion, but when an intimacy coordinator starts saying, well, the actor could do this, or what about that? Before, like, I've had my respectful conversation outside of new intimacy movements, it can begin to be disruptive to the process. So, you know, that's just one thing. But of course, if we veer into anything that feels remotely 
like a pivot from what was discussed in prep, then I'm handing the keys, the vehicle, the entire thing right back to the NMC coordinator to make sure that everyone is comfortable on all sides of whatever specific action we may be talking about. And so, you know, an actor might suggest like, oh, well, I could just do this or the other actor could just do that. And it's like, well, the NMC coordinator is there to make sure the other actor is cool with that. Like that other actor might not be cool with you doing, you know, having them touch you there, even though you're okay with it, you know, kind of interestingly right now, I, I love to see it like Penn Badgley for season four of you requested less intimate moments because of, you know, his concern for fidelity in, in, in his marriage. And I think that's super respectful. It's probably not what people are expecting to hear, but Sarah Gamble, the showrunner, worked with him to find a place where everyone would be happy. And I think the show, which I think part two of season four has dropped, so I will be watching that, is still awesome. And there's and, and there's a great spirit about what I'm sure they accomplished on set. So those are my thoughts on working with NMC coordinators. So thank you, Ad Olivia Troy. And I look forward to working with you again. We worked on Love Life, y'all. So Love Life season two, if you want to see and maybe kind of dissect what I'm talking about or or imagine what it's like even more. Take a look at episode 202 when Marcus goes home with Paloma, an NYU student, and they have an interesting night. So question number four. This is from at take the good underscore. Have you worked with someone with mental illness? How did you support? That is an interesting question. And I think my answer would be that I have I have not knowingly. There have definitely been times where maybe it's been rumored that someone's behavior is connected to a certain condition, but it's not something where I've personally been given a heads up. And, you know, I'm not actually sure with privacy and medical rights that I'd necessarily be informed about something like that. That's just my my hunch. I feel like the one of the few ways you would know is if there's like a an actor that's publicly dealing with something, whether it was released by them or leaked by someone. And so now people kind of have that awareness of it. But what I can say is that I try and work from a place where I am considerate of the demands we each face in the world and that any behavioral manifestations that may come my way are almost never personal. And so that allows me to give some grace and find some way to navigate whatever moments might be challenging for whatever reasons in a delicate and result-oriented way. Because at the end of the day, no matter what's happening, we've got to find a way to shoot the scene. And we also have to find a way to be respectful. And so I think that, you know, we all walk around with our own luggage of, of, of sorts, you know, and it's just about finding a way to collaborate peacefully. I've definitely had challenges, you know, with, with certain folks. I will not lie. I will not name. And sometimes it's been kind of inexplicable. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's everything that I've mentioned. It's like, all right, well, you know, how is, is there any way that I can even be helpful? Can I, can I help identify what the challenge may be in this moment and remove that challenge? You know, I think sometimes, and maybe this is the specific question, like maybe the, maybe the challenge can't be removed, but I think that what I'm happy to see on many sets now is that 
there's just much more of an awareness of the different things that people bring to the table, all of those things being acceptable, all of those things being able to be supported. And I, I think, you know, that is something that excites me about the future as more and more voices are welcomed on sets and, and find their way to have their visions relayed to screen. So that is it, y'all. That is episode 40, zero to 100, the catch-up mailbag. I really do love answering your questions, so keep shooting them my way. We'll be back with episode 41, which will be one of two things. I'm, I'm not quite sure I want to tell you yet, but I... Yeah. I won't, I won't tell you yet. Here's what I will tell you though. Here's, here's what's lining up for this season or flurry of episodes. We're going to have my man, Jeff Bird, who is the producing director on Showtime's Yellow Jackets. We're going to have Shannon Baker Davis currently editing a Marvel project, but also my first ever editor on Episodic for Grownish. She's had quite the career since 2017. We will have Valerie Weiss, another director and friend. She's very involved with going paperless and scriptation, but also an accomplished director of TV and film, including that Netflix movie mixtape. And she directed an episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. That'll be coming soon. We'll also have Ellen Rappaport, the creator, showrunner of Minx, Sherry Appleby, actor and director, and a bunch of other folks that are, I'm really excited to bring to y'all. So as you know, as we always do, I look forward to seeing what you guys are creating and I'll take it out with stay safe, spread love, and of course, keep creating. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N.